Good morning, 10 o'clock. How are you guys doing? Hey, my name is Savud. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, this weekend, I have had a lot of conversations as I walked around, and people are like, Savut, the more you teach, um, does it make it easier? Do you get less nervous? Do you ever just go up there and like, man, I got this? I'm like, absolutely not. I'm always nervous, especially with a crowd this size, right? Every time I get to opportunity to teach, I'm nervous, and there's no trick to it except to pray, right? And that's truly what I have to do is like, Lord, help me. I need wisdom. I don't know. Um, this is all about you. So uh, that's, that's a trick, right? So if you're speaking about God, there's no uh, coffee or water or anything that fixes it. You just got to keep praying, okay? So that's what I tell people. Um, I'm always grateful to get the opportunity to teach. And so if this is your first time, maybe you're visiting um, for Thanksgiving, visiting family. Um, I'm really glad you've chosen to be here this morning to worship with us. What we do here at the Experienced Churches, uh, we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. And we've been in a really awesome book in the Old Testament called First Samuel, all right? So in the last few weeks, uh, Pastor Corey um, split up chapter 17 into two weeks. And in this chapter, we hear one of the most famous stories in the Bible, uh, the, the story of David and Goliath. And two weeks ago, Pastor Corey um, asked us the question, how will we, we, we respond to the giants that come in our life? Because the giants will show up. The challenges will happen. And how will we respond to that? And last week, uh, Pastor Corey asked the question, will we trust God even in the face of growing adversity? Right, the world is getting darker and the world's getting worse and, and, and more challenges will continue to show up. What will we do? How will we respond to that? And so there's two options that Pastor Corey talked about. And the first one is we can trust God. We can trust in this daily relationship with God. And when we have this daily relationship with God, he empowers us. He gives us the strength we need to stand firm. And that's where strength comes from, right? Is, is trusting in God. The second option, and this is more of the natural response. This is more of the fleshly response. It is relying on ourself. And the world tells us that this life is all about ourself. And relying on ourself actually will bring weakness. We will crumble. We will not overcome the giants, okay? And so we have to trust in God and, and, and ask for his help when the challenges come. This morning, we're gonna be in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Um, and in this chapter, we're going to see uh, three characters, but really we're gonna focus on two. So, so King Saul and David. And we're going to see how David had his identity in God. And we can see the actions and the words that, that play out. And then we're gonna see King Saul who did not have his identity in God. He put his identity in power and prestige. And we see the actions unfold when his identity is not in God. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning is, where do we find our identity? That's an important question. We have to know the answer to that. Okay? And so we're gonna be in chapter 18. When you walked in, you should have received the notes handout. Everything that I will say will be on the TV screens. You can also download the Experience Community app and click under sermon notes. Let's go to God in prayer this morning before we dive into his word. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, even as this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, I know we talk a lot about the things that we're thankful for. On top of that list, it should be um, gratitude towards a creator who loves us. Grateful for the gift 
that we have to gather and the freedom that we have to be here to worship you. Grateful for the gift of your word that we get to open it up and learn more about you. God, I pray for all of the churches this morning that are gathering, that proclaim that you are the King of Kings. Lord, would you bless those communities? We want to see your name advance. We wanna see your kingdom advance in Middle Tennessee. Lord, we need your help. I pray that, that this morning as we dive into your word that you would reveal yourself to us even more. Remind us of how much you love us. God, be with us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, let's go to chapter 18, guys. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything that Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul was furious and resented the song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. Okay, so what we see now, this is post-Goliath, right? So, so David just defeated Goliath, defeated this giant that everyone was afraid of, and his life would change forever. And Saul, King Saul would welcome David into the palace, and he's part of the family, and he's like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Like, I wanna give you, I wanna make you the commander of the army. I'm gonna give you the power and the position and the possessions. And so from a worldly standpoint, like he was successful. He had all the praise that the world would want. But David also would find this true godly friend in Jonathan. And this relationship, this friendship with Jonathan is gonna be important for the rest of 1 Samuel too. Now, we talk a lot about um, preparing for the giants, making sure that we know who God is and that we are dependent on God before the battles come. And then we talk, about, we talk a lot about like what life looks like during the battle, right? In the midst of facing those challenges, but I think a lot of us don't talk a lot about what life looks like after we defeat the giants. And so what does our life look like after the giants are defeated? Because for me, sometimes it looks like this. It's, man, I've overcome this temptation or I've stood firm and like, man, I got this. And, and what happens is I can get a little cocky. I can get a little prideful and say, look at how good I am. Look at how strong I am. But that's why it's so important for us to be surrounded by godly people like Jonathan. One of the vision, part of our vision here at the Experience Church is authentic community. We have to live life surrounded by people who love God because if we do, then those people who love God and love us will remind us of who we are in Christ. And if they see us getting prideful and saying like, man, like I got life figured out, they can call us out in our crap and say, hey, you were dependent on God before the battle and during the battle, 
And now you're kind of living life on your own strength. Pointing out the, the blind spots in us is necessary, but that is painful, right? It's painful initially, but it's worth it. And we need to be surrounded by people who will help us remain humble. Now then we see Jonathan here. So Jonathan, this, remember in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan is King Saul's son. While Saul and his army were hanging out and goofing off, Jonathan and his armor bearer, right, his, his, his right-hand man, they go and they attack the Philistines. All right, so Jonathan, he was the firstborn son of King Saul. And then there's David. David was the last-born son of a farmer. So total opposite background from two different worlds, but they become real close friends because the cornerstone is God. And so most would look at Jonathan and expect him to be the next king, right? So when Saul's reign ended or when he, when he died, Jonathan would be the one that step up to be the next king. But I love what Jonathan does. He, he gives his robe to David. He gives his tunic and his sword to David. And this was a way for him to honor David as the next king. And so like, if we're in Jonathan's shoes, we're like, man, you were supposed to be next in line. How are you able to give up and honor someone else? And here's why, it's because Jonathan lived for God's kingdom. It wasn't about Jonathan. It was about God. And he wanted to do what God wanted, what, what, what God's plans were, right? And so he was secure in his identity in God. For us, church, if we are secure in our identity in God, then we too will see God's plan clearly. And we will honor those that should be next in line or that may receive better things than us. And we won't be insecure of that, right? We won't base it off of a position. And so Jonathan lived life for God's kingdom. And that's awesome. And then the next one we see is David, okay? So, so David, man, this guy became popular, right? And so sure, he defeated the giant, but also his character. He was a man after God's own heart. And so people, they would praise him. They would sing songs about him. And I think in this world, that's kind of what we want. We want the world to praise us. We want people to see us, right? But David did not let this get to his head because he kept the heart and the mind of a shepherd. When he was tending to sheep, when no one was watching, he knew who he belonged to. He knew his identity was in what God said about him. It wasn't in the praise of people. And so he was able to carry that same identity into this next season where he is receiving success and praise. And so for us churches, how, how do we handle the praise from other people? I think a lot of us, we, we crave that. We live for that. And this is so important for us. Like if that's how we live life, dependent on what people say about us, we're going to be let down pretty often because in a self-centered culture, everyone is focused on themselves. And I think we crave attention. That's why we have social media. That's why we want, all, we want to post certain pictures and post certain status so people can see us. Here's a truth for you this morning. Did you know that the creator of the universe sees you? Did you know that he gives you all the attention that you ever need? Why would we run to anyone else that will fail us? And so we need to know our identity in God. We need to be secure in that. And then we see Saul here. He was insecure. He did not know who he was. He was lost. He was living for himself. It was all about his kingdom. And so here's a song. I'm not gonna sing it to you guys because you guys won't come back to church. But Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And this really made Saul mad. Why? Because this is honestly, this is probably like the number one song in this culture today or in that time, right? 
It was like the, the, the top song. And so think about today's world. Like maybe it's the Taylor Swift song that keeps playing everywhere you go, right? In the ra- on the radio, in the restaurants. You're like, man, she's everywhere. And this is what Saul was hearing. He kept hearing the song over and over. And he lived for his own kingdom and, and his identity was in what others said of him rather than who God said he was. Oh man, I, I think a lot of us are in the same boat here. We care more about what people say about us than what God says about us. And, and, and we can deny it all day. We can say, I'm a Christian. I know what God says about me, but, but we can fall into the trap and get distracted and live in the worldly way that craves the praise of people. So insecurity, like Saul, it will cause us to crave the praise of people. It will cause us to be jealous. And that's what we see with Saul here. It said, Saul watched David jealously. Not only was he insecure, but I think he also felt threatened that there's this David guy who is younger and like, wait, he's better than me. What's going on? I'm, I don't like that. He's gonna take my throne one day. So he's trying to hold on tightly to the throne. And maybe there was this guilty conscience that Saul had because in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel told Saul, hey, one day you're not gonna be king. Actually, there's gonna be someone better than you that's gonna be king. And I think he was probably thinking about that too. And instead of responding in humility and surrendering and giving this jealousy to God, right, what we're gonna see consistently in this chapter and really in all of 1 Samuel is Saul had so many opportunities to surrender, so many opportunities to find security in God and a relationship with God. But he let this small ounce of jealousy build up and it would lead him to want to kill David. So we're gonna see unfold in the next part. Let's go to verse 10 here. So the next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul and he began to rave inside the palace and David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear and he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. And David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. And Saul told David, here is my oldest daughter, Merab. I'll give her to you as a wife if you will be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Then David responded, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? When it was time to give Saul's daughter, Merab, to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, as a wife. Okay, so... It gets a little intense here. What we see here is this evil spirit comes back on Saul. This evil spirit, we learn about this evil spirit in 1 Samuel 16. And I think what happens here is the spirit really reveals Saul's character, this consistent character that he's self-centered. And uh, it, it caused Saul to begin to rave, all right? And so some translations may say prophesied. What this means is he babbled. He basically uh, said a lot of words. He was a man that has lost his mind. And I love this. David is obedient to what God is telling him to do, which is to go minister, to go play music to this troubled king. Go be with him. 
Go encourage him. If we're in David's shoes here, I think a lot of us, after the fame and the popularity and success, many of us may say, man, like, that's no longer what you need to do, David. Like, that's beneath you, right? And we can say the same thing in our life. Like, if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with God, serving others can never be beneath us. Like, we can never get to the point, like, in your world, whether that's your workplace or your family um, or, or in the church, wherever it is, you can never get to the point where you're like, man, I'm experiencing success. I'm climbing the ladder. This is who I am now. I no longer need to do the minor work. Serving others is never minor work. Serving others is an example that Jesus set for us. In the gospel, it says that, that Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And so that should always be a, in the forefront of our mind as, as a Christian, that we are here to serve God and to serve other people. And, and once we get to the point where we say, that's beneath us, that's the beginning of pride and that's the beginning of our downfall. So then we see this music ministry that once we learn about in chapter 16, that it made Saul well, it soothed him. The evil spirits came off of Saul. And now this has no effect in this chapter. And, and how do we know that? Because Saul throws spears, right? He's not happy about this. He's not relieved. He, he's ticked off. He wants to kill David. And it wasn't the fact that David changed. He still had the same heart for God. He was still being obedient to what God was telling him to do. Um, Saul, his heart changed. We see that his heart is the one that changed. And it said that he refused, he refused to humble himself, right? Like this, this guy, like I said, all of 1 Samuel, especially in chapter 18, so many opportunities to just surrender and say, hey, maybe David is wanting to encourage me. I need to surrender and say, I understand that this is from God, right? But he didn't do that. He let the jealousy build up. He let the anger build up and he threw the spears. He wanted to kill him. And it says that David escaped from him twice, okay? So maybe Saul's aim was bad. Maybe he was affected by the, the, the poor mental state. Remember, he's lost his mind. Maybe David saw the spear and ducked, or this is what I think, God just supernaturally protected David. But what I do know here is like two things. One, if I'm David and I went to go play music to this king and he threw a spear at me and I escaped, I'm not going back a second time, right? But he chooses to go back a second time because he truly trusted in God. He didn't pick up the spear. He didn't throw it back. Man, many of us would pick up the spear and throw it back. Many of us would go and, and, and retaliate because that's what the world communicates to us. But David, knowing that he's gonna be king one day, he was determined to leave this situation in God's hands. And he said, and he trusted in God's timing. He trusted in God's plans. He trusted in God's protection. Trusting in God's timing is difficult. Especially maybe God has made it clear to you that you'll get this position or that this relationship in your life will look like this one day or whatever the case is. And maybe you heard that and maybe God made it clear, but you're tired of waiting. And when we get tired of waiting and when we get impatient, we take matters into our own hands and then we make things real messy because we live life without God. But we have to learn from David here. He trusted in God's timing and God's protection. This phrase we see in this chapter, the Lord was with David. Uh, this phrase is awesome. Like, and so by, by the culture standard, by the world's perspective, it looked like Saul is in control, right? He has the throne, he has the army, and he's the one that's throwing the spears. 
But it said that Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with David. There's a man who is king, who looks like from the world's perspective, successful, and he has everything, but he's afraid ultimately of God. David lived a life of daily obedience and desperate dependence on God. What this reminds us of, uh, us, us of this morning is that if we live a life of daily obedience and daily relationship with God, and we are desperately dependent on God, then the world too will be afraid. The enemy will be afraid. The giants will not overtake us. And so does the life, like do we live life in such a way that communicates to the world and to the enemies that God is with us? If that's the message that, that, that we, we send out, that's the life we live, man, the enemy has no place in our life. So we see here, Saul's man, he, he wants to kill David. That was, he's narrow-minded. He let the jealousy build up. He didn't deal with that sin. And we see the effects here. His first plan, okay? And so, so when we think about Saul here, he has like three or four different tech, uh, tactics and plans to kill David. And if we look at it, they all suck, right? And, and why is that? Because he's not, he doesn't have a relationship with God. He's relying on his own wis- wisdom and his flesh. So the first one is he offers his older daughter, Mirab, to David. And in this culture, a price, a dowry had to be paid to the bride's father. And so when he offered it to David, um, because he was king and his status was high, like there was no way that David could afford this. He knew that he's like, who am I to be the king's son-in-law? There's no way. He had a humble heart. And that that, that humility protected David here. So Saul, by any means, he wanted to kill David. And, and David's and Saul's main strategy, hey, let's get him out on the battlefield. That way I don't have to raise a hand, but I'll let the Philistines kill him. And so for us, church, when the spears of life are thrown at us, how will we respond? Because the spears are coming. If we identify with Jesus, Jesus tells us, hey, they're going, the world's gonna hate you, but don't worry, they hated me first. So the world will attack us, the pressures of life will come. The giants will show up. How will we respond? Will we remember that God is with us? Because if we remember that God is with us, then we can trust in his timing and his plan and his protection that God is gonna fight for us. We don't need to pick the spears back up. But if we don't, if we don't remember that God is with us, 100% of the time we're picking the spears back up and we're gonna cause more damage. All right, let's go to the last part. Okay, so a few things about this part. This part is interesting. Second, uh, we're gonna see Saul's second daughter and a lot of translations and and, um, different uh, Bible commentaries pronounce it differently. Some say Michael, some say Michal, and and the Hebrew translation is Michal. I'm going to say Michael because it's easy. So now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And when it was reported to Saul, It pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, you can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, speak to David in private and tell him, look, the king is pleased with you, and all his servants love you. Therefore, you you should become the king's son-in-law. Saul's servants reported back these words and directly to David, but he replied, 
Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? I am a poor commoner. The servants reported back to Saul, these are the words that David spoke. Then Saul replied, say this to David, the king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins. Saul, that's a weird price, dude. (laughs) Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hands of the Philistines. When the servants reported these terms to David, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. Before the wedding day arrived, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented them as full payment to the king to become his son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter Michael to David as his wife. And Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved him. And he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers. So his name became well known. Okay, and so the first thing we see is this, this, uh, his second daughter. He talks about Michael, right? He says, Michael loved David. She was probably attracted to his outward appearance and, and the fame and the popularity. And she's like, ah, I really love him. I want to marry him. So when Saul heard this, it said it pleased him. I think it pleased him for two reasons. One, he knew like, okay, I can get a second chance because he didn't want to, he couldn't afford my first daughter. And so I'm going to offer this one and lower the price a little bit. Maybe he'll humble himself and say, I'll do this, right? And so Saul um, knew that this would get David out in the battlefield. The second reason is, it's crazy. Like Saul knew his daughter's character and he knew that like, she could be a trap or a snare for him in their marriage. What we see in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is that there's this moment where, where David wants to be obedient to God. He wants to go and do what God is telling him to do. And Michael is against it. She's against it. And, and so I don't think she really cared about his, that he was a man after God's own heart. I think she just liked the outward appearance. Saul's heart here continued to be hardened, right? This consistent theme of like, not humbling himself and not surrendering, we see uh, pretty evident here. Pride in a hardened heart will lead to a life of destruction. That's the same for us. Like some of us can let an ounce of bitterness in our heart, maybe an ounce of anger or jealousy. And if we don't deal with that sin, it's going to grow and it's going to be destructive and the actions will show it. And so for, for Saul, it became, he was so narrow-minded in killing David that he did not even care about his two daughters. He didn't care about their life. He wanted to use them to kill David. So we see the price for his daughter, Michael here. And he doesn't have this face-to-face conversation. Instead, he's like, hey, I wanna send my servants to negotiate for me. And the price we see is 100 Philistine foreskins. And this was designed, this was not a cheap price. This was designed to make the Philistines ticked off. It was designed to kill David, to get him out on the battlefield. Because in order to get that, you have to kill them, right? And so we see that there. And then it would, it's kind of a, a, honestly, a sign of disrespect, right? And so he would have this target on David. Now, this plan backfired on him, right? This plan doesn't really work. Why? Because David's alive, because he's a beast, right? So he's alive. And then this David, I'm a little confused here. Okay, so he says, he gave more than what was required. 
So instead of 100 foreskins, he's like, I'm gonna give you 200. David, he just asked for 100, bro, that's it. But he's humble in this way and, he, and David truly wants to go above and beyond. He wants to go above and beyond and, and do a, uh, more than what is asked. So Saul realized that God was with David and it said in the, in the text, he became more afraid. Again, this king who seems like he has it all together is more afraid of David. And it wasn't really because of David. Truly, it was because God was with David. He was afraid of God. And Saul was more focused. He was more consumed on killing David than being in a right relationship with God. Man, many of us can get so narrow-minded, maybe as a position that you want, maybe as a love of money, whatever we put our identity in, we can get narrow-minded and God, is, God may be trying to get our attention. God may want us to humble ourselves and surrender. And if we aren't careful, we're gonna miss out on that opportunity. God consistently wants you. He chooses you. And as we finish our time this morning, we're gonna talk about identity. Where do we find our identity? When we think about Saul, his identity was in a lot of things but God. And many of us, I think we can be in the same boat. If we put our identity in everything but God, it's gonna leave us empty. Saul's identity was in being the king. He was consumed by the praise of people. Saul longed for this. This is how he lived his life, dependent on this. And for us, if we try to find our identity in the love of money or worldly success, what Pastor Cord talked about last week, self-worship, because the culture talks about is all about yourself and anything but God. If our identity is in anything but God, it will leave us more confused, more hopeless, and more exhausted. And I think a lot of us in this room can testify to how, um, it, you know, before I was a believer, um, so I've been walking with Jesus for, for 12 years now. Before I was a believer, I was, I was lost. Right? I longed for love. I was hopeless, really. And I was exhausted and tired. And I think a lot of us can, can, can just say like, life and identity and everything but God doesn't work. It's empty. But an identity in our creator, it changes everything. The creator of the universe created me and he created you for a relationship with him. We were designed to be in a relationship with him. And when we go against that design and we try to find life in everything but him, we're going to be disappointed. But then we see this identity in God and, and David lived that out in this chapter here. He knew that he was a child of God in the shepherd fields, tending the sheep when no one was watching because he knew that his, his value came from what God said about him. And he carried that same identity in the seasons of success. And as I, was, as I was reading this this week, thinking about my life, I get guilty of this. Like, if, if you have a relationship with God, I'm talking to you this morning. So, so believers, we need to be reminded of who we were before we met Jesus. Like, just think about that for a moment. Like, so in my life, I was lost, addicted, confused, in pain, longing for something to satisfy like there's this hole in our life that only God can satisfy. And I think a lot of us can look back and, and it, sh it should bring us in, in, in on our knees to surrender our life to God forever, to say this life 
It's all about you, Jesus. Thankful for, for how you've transformed me because that's what life looks like, right? Before we met Jesus, this is who we used to be. But Jesus changes everything in us. Jesus transforms us. And I think a reminder that I like to tell myself and, and, and when I get the opportunity to teach, I say this. Even if God doesn't do anything else for us, he's done more than enough for us. He's done more than enough for us and he's worthy of worship because he sent his son to die for us. That's what he chose to do. But if we forget our identity, if we forget who we are and, and, and that we belong to Jesus, the truth is we will look for a new identity somewhere else. And even after 12 years, I know I'm young, but after 12 years of, of walking with Jesus, man, I, I, I still don't have to figure it out. I have friends who've been walking with Jesus for 40, 50 years, and they still get distracted, right? The temptations are still there, but we cannot get off track forever. We have to get back on track. I think sometimes like when I forget who I belong to, I try to find value somewhere else. And I think we can fall into that same trap too. And identity changes our perspective. Saul's identity was in temporary things on earth, like the power. He held on to a temporary throne. He was holding on so tightly to that. He was holding on to the prestige, the praise of people. He was holding on tightly to temporary things that will fade away. And what we see in Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so don't treasure temporary things on earth that will fade away, but treasure things in heaven that is eternal. David was a man after God's own heart and, and he treasured eternity with God. And, and I love this. He was open-handed with the earthly things. Like there's nothing wrong with hobbies and the earthly stuff but don't hold tightly to those things because they will fade away. But hold on tightly to eternity with God and your relationship with God, and that will never fade away. That's a firm foundation. What we see in Psalm 84, it says, better is one day in your court being a doorkeeper than a thousand days anywhere else. Man, that's the truth for all of us as Christians. And even if you're not a believer, that's the truth. Better is one day in the presence of Jesus than a thousand days anywhere else. It's worth it. That's what we should long for. Hold on tightly to that. What we fix, what we identify with will affect where we fix our eyes in life. Saul identified with temporary things. And so all he saw was temporary things. That's what he fixed his eyes on. David fixed his eyes on a relationship with God and eternity with God. And so he could see the eternal things. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we fix our eyes on what is unseen, that is eternal, not on what is seen. That's where we should fix our eyes, church, as Christians. You know, Allison and I, um, the more we live life, and, and we're 30, we're not, we're not old people, but we're, we're young, still learning a lot, but there's a lot of challenges. And this year has been extremely difficult. Uh, there's been a lot of pain in our life. There's been a lot of um, family stuff going on, a lot of heartbreak. And the people around us, there's major loss going on in the people that we know and that we love. And what this reminds us of, uh, of is that this place is a broken place. This earth is a broken place. And when we sing the song, The Firm Foundation, when everything else is shaken, that that God, we have a firm foundation in, in you. We have, like I said, a peace that makes no sense. 
that we have joy in the chaos. Like, like, how are we able to do that? Because we know that our forever home is one day with Jesus. And that's what we long for. And so we hold on to the eternal things, knowing that this earth is not our forever home. And if we live life thinking that this earth is our forever home and that this is how life will be forever, we're gonna be hopeless. But we have one day to look forward to where we get to be with Jesus, where there'll be no more tears, no more heartbreak, the perfect community with God. So we hold on to. And so where do we find our identity? When we begin a relationship with Jesus, it says that we are a new creation. And that's, that's awesome. Like in 2 Corinthians, the, the old is gone and praise God that the new is here, that we are transformed when we meet Jesus and that, that he changes us from the inside out. And so the old self is dead and you get new life with Christ. And that's the same truth that can be for you if you would choose to surrender. And if you are a believer, you know the truth of like, man, my old self is dead. I'm so thankful for that. And this is new life that I have now. But we have to answer this question. Where do we find our identity? There's two options. It's either Jesus or is everything else. What do you identify with? It will help us answer this question here. How do we handle the praise of people? If we identify with Jesus, what this looks like is, I'm thankful for the encouragement. I'm thankful for the words of affirmation, but my value comes in what God says about me. So I'll put everything that people say about me in right perspective into what my creator says about me. That's what it looks like when we identify with Jesus. Now, if we identify with anything but Jesus, we can live a life dependent on what people say about us. And many of us live this life where we care way more about what people say about us than what God says about us that life is heartbreak and emptiness. When the spears of life are thrown at us, how will we respond? If we identify with Jesus, we can respond like David responded, which is don't pick the spear back up. Trust in God's timing, trust in God's protection, trust that God will fight our battles for us. But if we don't identify with Jesus, we're going to pick the spear back up and cause damage. We're gonna cause more chaos. And so where will we choose to find our identity? Because it's a choice. We have the choice to choose. A loving God gives us that option. Will it be with our creator or will it be with creation? That's the two options. Will it be with our creator or will it be with, with creation? Let me tell you what God chooses. God's choice is you. God's choice is that no one perish. He chooses us, he loves us. I love what it says in Psalm 139 here. For it was you, our creator, our God. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Some translations say I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The creator of the universe made me and made you and said, you are very good. We are the best thing he's ever created. He made us in his image. Why in the world would we choose anyone else but, the, but a loving creator? Why would we run to anything else to find life when there's a loving God whose love is unconditional? It doesn't change. It remains the same. 
Sometimes I think we can fall in the trap to say, man, in five years, when I get my life fixed, maybe God will love me more. God doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you right now. And that is so encouraging to me because sometimes I feel like I got to fix my life and change things before I experience God's love. But God's love is constant. He loves you. He never changes. He is faithful even when we are faithless. What a good God, good creator, a perfect creator. And he longs to be with you. What will you choose? And a lot of us will choose things that will let us down. Everything but Jesus will fail us. Everyone in this world will fail us. No one can love us like God loves us. There's no one. There's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy you except a relationship with Jesus. No one in this world will ever tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made like God tells us. What will we choose? Did you guys bow your heads? So if you're in this room and maybe you have questions about um, God or, or the Bible or maybe you have, you're wrestling with your identity and trying to figure out like what, is, what does it look like to identify with Jesus? Maybe you're in here and you're searching. You have a, you know, you're just here like, man, I'm not a believer, but I'm longing for, for life. Man, if that's you and you're searching, I'm so glad you're here. Um, to my right, your left is Pastor Mike. Come up and ask him any questions and he'd love to talk with you and to pray with you. On both sides of the stage, we have men and women that would love to pray with you. Don't do this life alone. Come up and ask for prayer and have some people walk life with you. And all around the room, we have communion available. Uh, this represents the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Man, that's God's choice for us. He chooses to love us and he showed us that by sending his son to die for us. Communion is a big deal. This is a gift to us. Please take this seriously. Take your time and remember how amazing he is and what he's done for us. All that we ask, and the scripture talks about it, is that we ask for forgiveness and make our heart right with God before taking communion. God, I'm so grateful for you. Thank, thankful for this community, this family. Um, I pray that, that you would remind us of how faithful you are and how much you love us. God, I pray that as we wrestle with that question, where do we find our identity, that we would come to the realization that life is only found in a relationship with you, that everything else in this world will leave us empty. God, I pray for this community here, this 10 o'clock service, as we leave this place, would you protect us and help us worship you even as we leave this place. Help us be a light in the world. I pray that when we forget who you are, that you would remind us that you're with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.